Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. The American prison system is huge and brutal. Racial violence is commonplace, mental illness is rampant, and yet some people find their way to a new understanding of their lives and themselves. In the new documentary, 26.2 to Life, we meet three men who committed violent crimes and then over many years got their lives moving back in the right direction. For each, A track club inside the walls of San Quentin has proven instrumental to their mental, emotional, and physical transformations. We'll talk about the film and what it's like to run a marathon inside the walls of a prison. That's all coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. The new documentary... 26.2 to Life tells the story of the Thousand Mile Club, a running program that takes place in the yard at San Quentin. Using rare footage from the inside, we get to watch a full marathon, 105 tortuous laps. Long distance running becomes both key action and metaphor for the difficult path that incarcerated people must navigate if they want any hope of finding freedom or even just peace. It's a beautiful film that's more stylish than it has any right to be and that's heartbreaking in precise proportion to the joy that we also see in the men who are running. Joining us first, we have the film's director, Christine Yu. The movie opened Friday, September 22nd at the Roxy Theater, the Smith Rafael Film Center in San Rafael, Rialto Cinemas, Elmwood, and Berkeley. Welcome, Christine. Hey, thanks, Alex. Thanks. Excited, uh, yeah. excited to be here. Why don't we let's just hear a little first cut from the film? It's about Marathon Day. Today is Marathon Day in San Quentin. It's the culmination of a year in progress. This is what we do with the Thousand Mile Club. We work from a benchmark mile up in January right on up to 26 miles in November. This is the only day that we actually demand the track kind of sort of by proxy, but (laughs) there are guys out here who probably wouldn't be on the yard just because somebody they know is running. They come out and support. It's a good time. Christine, when did you first hear about this marathon that goes on inside the walls and the Thousand Mile Club? It was actually in 2016. I woke up one morning, uh, saw this GQ magazine article on my Apple News feed that said uh, the San Quentin Prison Marathon, and it immediately captured my imagination. And by the time I finished reading it, I knew that I had to make a movie about this. 
I mean, how do the people inside actually train for and, and run the race? So the Thousand Mile Club is an organized running club inside the prison. And there are these volunteers who are a group of elite marathon runners that come in uh, throughout the year to train the guys. Uh, they come in twice um, a month and they conduct workouts. And then each month they have running events. First, starting out with a mile, they call a benchmark mile in Jan early in the, in the year. And then they work all the way up to a marathon annually in November. So I've been running for a long time, and running a marathon in 105 laps seems extremely difficult. Let's hear another cut from the film 26.2 to Life about sort of how the marathon actually works. In San Quentin, you're running these circles, and you have to trick your mind to believe that you're somewhere else. Four hours of running, you can go stir crazy if you're not thinking about something other than running. In my mind, I would just focus on that I was actually out somewhere in society running. I would block the walls out, the gun towers, and just go into a zone. It felt that much closer to freedom, that much closer to being with family or friends, or just, it, it just took everything away. That was a cut from 26.2 to Life, new film that opens uh, this weekend. We're joined by the director, Christine Yu. So you said that the second you read an article about the Thousand Mile Club, the running club inside San Quentin, you were like, I've got to make a film about it. Like, what was it that actually captured you about it? Well, sort of my, I guess, relationship with the prison system starts much earlier than that. Uh, over 20 years ago, I became friends with uh, or I'm friends with somebody who was wrongfully convicted and sentenced to 271 years in California State Prison. Uh, he was also fellow Korean American, and that really impacted me very deeply. Um, I started to wonder, you know, how does one actually create a life inside a prison? You know, how do you actually go about doing that from day to day? And so when I saw, uh, when I found out about the Thousand Mile Club, I thought, and also being a runner myself. I'm not a marathoner, full disclosure, uh, but I could understand what uh, kind of freedom that could create for guys in prison. Hmm. And it just, somehow it just captured my imagination. You know, of course, a marathon being a metaphor for life itself. Yeah. Um, you know, shout out to Ear Hustle, which is an incredible podcast. They actually work out of our building at KQED and you know, the day-to-day -day life of, of, of the prison is kind of what they've taken as their, their theme. Um, you actually have one of the uh, Ear Hustle participants, Rasan, um, and he, here he is talking about the marathon as a metaphor. If you're running a marathon or if you got a life sentence, it's too overwhelming to think about how much farther you got to go. You just do one step at a time, one day at a time, one hour at a time and just try to be productive every single day. Mm. You know, Christine, you, there are a few scenes where the subjects are speaking and then an alarm goes off, you know, signaling kind of disturbance in the prison, and they have to uh, kneel or sit down. Can you talk about some of the challenges of filming in San Quentin, which, uh, honestly, I, is pretty rare. 
Yeah, it uh, took about nine months to get access to the prison. And, uh, you know, the thing is, every time you are shooting in there, there really is no guarantee you're going to get another time, you know. Mm. So um, and then if you have scheduled maybe, say, 8 to 2 p.m. to go in, you know, by the time that you get in and all of your clearance, uh, suddenly it's 10 o'clock. So you're always... Uh, you know, racing against time, so to speak. Um, incredibly uh, small crew that you kind of have to work with to maneuver around. Although on race days, we would, uh, we did have like multi-camera, um, multi-camera crew. It was important for me to capture the marathon and the running events for the major athletic events that they really are. Uh-huh. You know, let's bring in one of the subjects of this new film, 26.2 to Life. Markel Taylor has one of the best nicknames, Markel the Gazelle. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Um, appreciate the opportunity to be able to be here today. Yeah. Can you talk about why you joined the Thousand Mile Club? Yes. Um, I had started running like probably months before I got ready for my first marathon, like maybe a couple months, um, because a friend of mine had committed suicide prior, and then I was getting ready to go to my first board hearing in 2015. Parole so, board, yeah. Yes, parole board hearing in 2015, and I didn't know what to expect, and a lot of anxiety was built up, a lot of frustration, a lot of, um, you know, eagerness and hope. And I knew that it was a possibility that all my dreams of being able to get out, especially on my first opportunity of a board hearing to get out, which is very rare um, of a opportunity. So with that, um, I started to run. So I wouldn't you know, feel like that's mm. that same sadness and shame and end up doing something stupid to someone else mm. or even taking my own life. So mm. I just, you know, I just, so I just yeah, started, started running. running. And then a friend of mine in my re religious circle, um, he was already a part of the club and he was like, man, um, <laughs> you're a lot faster than I am. Why are you not in this club? <laughs> Yeah, in a roundabout way, he was like, man, you should join the club. You can, you know, you can continue to run there and then, you know, have competition and all that. And he said, "You plus you can get a free hat and tennis shoes. <laughs> so me not really getting packages and getting stuff, yeah. you know, I was, you know, I love hats and tennis shoes. And they were getting stuff from that was sponsored from the outside that was a lot nicer than what a person can get in the inside. Mm. So. I was like, okay, I'm already starting to run, and then I guess I can... <laughs> Coaxed you in with the merch, yeah. They encouraged me <laughs> in with the merch. Markel, I mean, I was watching you run in this film. I'm, I'm a mediocre runner. You are a very fast man, and I was wanted to know about your training regimen because when I have trained for marathons or even shorter races, it's like hard to get enough healthy calories in. It's hard to get enough electrolytes in so that you feel good after you've done, you know, a 15-mile training run. So how do you how do you like deal with your nutrition on the inside? Um, unless you work in the kitchen and you have access to 
the really good produce and they have um like kosher meals and different like um meal um rules that for someone who's like in a religious like for kosher like jewish meals mm -hmm. where they had like the real produce and then you have people that are not in that like yeah. you're just going to get whatever they have to give mm -hmm. you and so i was one of the ones that you're going to get what, you, what they have to give <laughs> you so we really wasn't working on mm -hmm. the nutrition and the food that we have out on the outside so we got what whatever we can get you know so i was basically just going off of um emotions um whatever they had like soups and <laughs> and man were you I losing all kinds of macro uh actually uh the way it was set up with soups and all of that stuff you can get carbs and stuff off yeah, of processed can. food and uh whatever they had to give you you know you just got to double up on the meals and and be able to go in that store and buy canned goods or whatever so you can just build up the uh the ability to do these things and you know so we whatever you can do to survive in that in type of environment yeah and then i i have a i worked out so that was like a must you know mm -hmm. you have to have a little size on you in there to protect yourself so i just worked out and and then I just started to add the running element. Yeah. And whatever we had nutritious wise to eat. You take it. Yeah. But I also had um someone that was in there. We'll take yeah, we'll take that on uh on the other side of this break. We're talking about twenty six point two to life. That's a new documentary about a thousand mile club, a running group in San Quentin. We're joined by Markel Taylor, former member of the San Quentin Thousand Mile Club, and Christine Yu, who directed the new documentary, which opens a whole bunch of uh, theaters here in the Bay Area on Friday. We'd love to get your questions. You know, have you trained for marathon? Are you have you been part of San Quentin's Thousand Mile Club? You can give us a call. The number is eight six six seven three three. 6786. The email address is forum at kqed.org. We're KQED Forum on all the social things. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. We're talking about 26.2 to Life. It's a new documentary about a marathon running group in San Quentin. Joined by the film's director, Christine Yu, as well as Markel Taylor, former member of the San Quentin Thousand Mile Club. Uh, great nickname, Markel the Gazelle. Um, 
and if there's actually merch that you can find i bought a running tank top just last night markel uh from your from your website um oh. i wanted to awesome. ask you yeah it's really <laughs> I, the merch is great um uh, markel i wanted to ask you just like uh, a couple more running questions before we uh bring in your coach um did you do a lot of like speed work out there it was like as i was watching the film and you're thinking about the yard it just seems difficult to actually be able to you know get the the laps in or you know be able to actually open up your legs and run fast like how how'd you actually do that training well i thank you and i appreciate you asking that question that's a very good question yes um besides doing the workouts that the coach have us do um when he come in on the monday nights and uh and support us when he come in and do his run on friday there is a a formal track um, world athlete sprinter who actually, when mm -hmm. I first started, when I first joined the club, these guys beat me. So I actually started training with the guys who this guy was training uh, on the side when the coach is not in on some speed work. So we started doing these speed work intervals. Mm -hmm. And once I realized that, okay, um, these guys got a quicker takeoff, but by the time we finish to the end where we do these 330s or these 700s or these 550s, I noticed that like by the time we get halfway done, I'm already past these guys. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, all right. So I'm a little bit faster than them. So if I can just hold this distance a little bit longer, maybe I'll win. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, because you, you're kind of a taller guy, yeah, and you have like more of the build of kind of the middle distance runner, um, you know, like a, the guys who run the 800, not the 100. Um, could you uh, talk a little bit about, do you remember your first San Quentin Marathon? Uh, I want to go, I want to answer that 800 question. Now, oh, I yeah. have experience for running track. My junior year, I ran track. And that was my run. It, my my race was oh, yeah. the eight hundred, and then I always did the uh, four by four hundred relay. And I normally would, the normally the fastest guys would go either the third and the fourth leg. Um, so I would run either third or fourth leg um, for the four by four hundred, and the the eight hundred was my race. And then my senior year, I ran cross country and track, oh, and I moved from the eight hundred four hundred to the eight hundred four hundred and mile. So. Um, I had a little bit of experience then. With that being said, um, yeah, so that's that's how that yeah. kind of yeah, started. yeah. And then, um, how different was it? I mean, given that you had run as a as a young man competitively outside, I mean, how different was it when you started to actually race on the inside? It kind of faded a little bit. I kind of missed part of that question. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Just how different was it running competitively on the inside, like trying to run? Like, I know you wanted to qualify for Boston, the Boston Marathon, for example, on the inside. Well, the inside, when I first started running, and that was in 2015 when I was getting ready for that first marathon, I had never run anything over like seven, eight miles before. Mm. Because uh, that's what I was running the distance for the cross-country races were, that were like a 3.1-mile race in cross-country. However, in prison, it was a little bit more scary, more challenging, because I never ran against And there's different people from all age groups and levels. Mm -hmm. of, you know, so I don't know what to expect. I just know that 
some of these guys in this distance running, I was able to beat them in some of the shorter stuff. So I, you know, and then my mindset changed when I started using running for, um, changing it to dedicate to like first, um, the people that I victimized in my lifetime, like my victim. Mm -hmm. And then I started just chasing each practice, each race and each win towards dedicating it to a certain person or people or, you know, so so each run you would put someone in your mind and you would kind of focus on them as you ran. Yes. Like people stuff suffering for diabetes or somebody with cancer or somebody, you know, so I use that as I just it's just kind of like how some of the guys said they took their mind outside of being in prison. And so I took my mind to these places and these experiences I had in life with seeing people suffering like my grandmother from diabetes or mm-hmm. uh, high blood pressure or someone who has spinal bifida and some kids that, mm. like suffer from burns, you know, so I just started chasing that, I, that, mm-hmm. that love for helping mankind. So that was kind of like my way of chasing those things for them. Almost like on the equivalence of being outside and like being a sponsor and running a race for diabetes or cancer or something. Mm-hmm. I kind of did that for what I did for these races. Wow. Wow. Um, thank you for sharing that. I want to play another cut from the documentary. It's really about um, the other people who come from the outside to help out. A big part of the Thousand Mile Club, too, is the outside volunteers. Uh, They really make us feel like we're part of the community. There's an old Indian saying, right? He who doesn't feel like he's part of the tribe acts as if he doesn't have any relatives. And Frank gonna make that impossible to not feel like you're part of the tribe. Especially Frank, he comes in on Fridays and every other Monday. I haven't seen my mom since I've been incarcerated. So it's been 16 years now, almost 17 years. So that's what I appreciate a lot from people from the outside spending time with. That's actually how I consider having my visits. That's what I consider family. This doesn't happen in every prison. You gotta remember, all I did was hang around gang members and do drugs and sell drugs and hurt people. Now I'm around coaches that are just like like my mom and dad that growing up with good people. That was a cut from 26.2 to Life, a new documentary about a marathon running group in the San Quentin prison. And we have one of the coaches. We have Coach Frank Rona of the San Quentin Thousand Mile Club. Welcome, Frank. Hey, Frank, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, oh, I can hear you. Great, great. Um, welcome to the show. I want to know, you know, you got involved with the club some some years ago after an accomplished running career yourself. Tell me how you got started. Uh, I had been contacted by Laura Bowman, who was a teacher at San Quentin, and she had gotten the club approved, and she was looking for uh, a coach. Wow. And you yourself um, say in the film that you don't ask runners about their crimes um, when they when they can come to the club. Um, why not? And sort of how do you deal with their their legacies or past? Well, I look at these guys like other 
uh, runners that I've coached over the years. And I just figured, you know, these guys are runners and um, just try to treat them as runners. Yeah. Um, when you saw Markel Taylor start to run, did you think like, oh man, we've got a, we've got a really good runner in our midst here? Well, when Markel joined the club, yeah, he was, uh, you know, way, way faster than uh, any of the other guys that, uh, that we had in the club. And, uh, uh, so we tried to work with him and, get him to to uh you know get as competitive as possible so his you know his goal was to be able to run the boston marathon when he paroled and he uh he was able to qualify for it yeah you know frank um when you're asked in the film about why you volunteer you just say you know i'm my brother's keeper like what? What does that mean to you? Well, uh, you know, I try to help, uh, you know, help people out if they need help. Is it? It's, it's that simple for you? Yes. <laughs> um, where do you get the the motivation to keep coming back? Like when we. Uh, you know, in the film, we find that, you know, you're just always there on Friday. Like you're, you show up, um, time and, and time again. Like, where does that, where do you think the motivation comes from? Well, I, I enjoy working with the guys and, uh, you know, they enjoy having us, you know, when I, I come in and I, I have a very, uh, you know, large group of, dedicated volunteers who come in with me you know what do you think you've learned about the u.s prison system frank since you started working inside that you don't think people you know who don't spend time in san quentin or around the prison system don't know well i'm i'm frankly pretty appalled when i see that uh, the united states has five percent of the world's population but only but it has 25 percent of the world's prison population and i i think uh you know the prison uh, has become an industry and uh, we have way too many prisons and way too many people in prison mm-hmm. we're talking about 26.2 to life It's a new documentary about a marathon running group in San Quentin, joined by Frank Rona, coach of the club, Markel Taylor, one of the star runners, a former member of the San Quentin Thousand Mile Club. Um, We're also joined by Christine Yu, director of the documentary. It opens Friday at the Roxy uh, in San Rafael, in Berkeley, also at the Rialto Cinemas in uh, Sebastopol. We'd love to hear from you. I mean, do you have a connection to San Quentin as a resident or as a volunteer, you can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. You can email forum at kqed.org, and you can find us on uh, Twitter, on Instagram, on threads, or KQED Forum, or you can join uh, our Discord community and, and put your questions and have conversations there. If you don't know how to do that, go to kqed.org um, slash forum. 
I'm going to bring in caller uh, Keith in Oakland. Welcome to the show. Hi, Alexis. Uh, good morning. Thanks for the show. This is this is great. Um, I, I work at Uncommon Law. We're a, a nonprofit law firm that provides trauma-informed counseling and legal representation for people serving life sentences. I, I think the film uh, provides an important look at the ways in which uh, people survive despite the, the cruelty and violence of our prisons, particularly among those serving life sentences. California happens to have about 35,000 people serving life sentences. And that means they will never get back to their families unless and until the parole board says it's safe for them to be released. And unfortunately, we have a, a very selective parole process that, that allows parole commissioners to deny parole to people they don't like or whose lives they don't understand, not just to people who are actually dangerous. And I, I hope that people remember while watching this film that these are folks who are supposed to be here in the community with us, not because they're exceptional or special, but because everyone's capable of change and of safely returning home. Yeah. Hey, Keith, I mean, how important in your experience has it been to have programs like the Thousand Mile Club or things that people make people feel both part of a community, focus, effort? Like, what, what's your take on it? Oh, it's, it's, it's critical. I mean, uh, San Quentin certainly stands out among the institutions as one that is most open and accessible to folks on the outside coming in. Um, and this running club is a great example of how volunteers can come into the institution, engage with people inside, give them support, guidance, um, partnership. And most prisons don't have that. Uh, most prisons are are much more remote, difficult to get to, um, and even if they are relatively close to a major metropolitan area, aren't really open to having outside folks come in um, and run the, the kind of programs that, frankly, that fill major gaps in the available programming inside the, the prisons. Most of the time, um, the the best programs, the, the, the ones that have the greatest impact in helping people do the work to, to change their lives to come home, are not those that are actually run by prison officials. They're run by community-based organizations. So uh, it's it's a really important feature. Hey, Keith uh, Watley of uh, Uncommon Law in Oakland, thanks so much for uh, for calling in, Keith. Really appreciate that. Thanks. Um, you know, Markel, we heard you know Keith talk about, you know, he's done a lot of work um, in the prison system in California, that, you know, this is still, you know, we see some beautiful things happen within this film, but it's still prison, right? And you, you mentioned it, too, that there's there's still violence. And I, I just wanted to play one other cut from the film, and then we're going to talk about it, Marco. To survive in level four prison, you got to really be tough. You know what I mean? A certain image. There was violence a lot every day. You have to participate in the riot or your own peers will remove you from the yard. When I was at Ironwood Prison, it was in 2011, there was a 400-man riot. I was strongly advised to, to choose a side, so I chose a side with, with the Asians and Filipinos because I'm half Filipino. The other race took offense to the person exercising in their area, and it started, It was. it's like a, a fire that starts off. The people are fighting groups of five, groups of 20, groups of 40, and then it would you, you can see it move. It's almost like a, a, almost like a virus. Markel, that was uh, folks describing some of the violence that can happen inside um, prison. 
I mean, how did you deal with that just on a on a day to day basis while you were trying to kind of keep your life moving in the right direction? Yes, uh, thank you for the question. I appreciate that. It was a very good question. San Quentin, like the gentleman has said before me, that has community-based programs that no other prison has. And it has more outside sponsors and supporters of people on the inside to help with the rehabilitation process. However, with that being said, prison is still prison, it's still violent, and even in a place like San Quentin, can be, and still is, very dangerous. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I did have to navigate through, even getting to the point to where I can get into an institution uh, like San Quentin. I didn't just start off at at San Quentin. And like the gentleman before me said, each prison is different. And I made a comment at one of the Q&As for this film that why can't every institution be like San Quentin? Why is it only you have to get down to a certain level to even be in that Mm. position to even uh, get that kind of support and help from the people from the outside and the programming to rehabilitate yourself to be a better human being. Yeah. I was in a place uh, prior to going to San Quentin where they told me that I couldn't even get into a situation where I can even get educated until I was a couple of years to my board here and I had four years to go. So that's the kind of stuff you have to face. Yeah. We're talking about 26.2 to Life, a new documentary about a marathon-running group in San Quentin Prison, joined by Markel Taylor, former member of the club, Frank Rona, its coach, and Christine Yu, who's director of the documentary. Again, it's 26.2 to Life. Love to hear from you. Do you have a connection to San Quentin as a resident or a volunteer? You can give us a call. Number is 866-733-6786. Forum at KQED. Org. Noel says on Discord, sounds like running is a meditative exercise, like the meditation where you dedicate it to other people, other beings, the world in general. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the new documentary, 26.2 
to Life about a running group inside San Quentin. Joined by the documentary's director, Christine Yu, and two of its stars, Markel Taylor, former member of the club, and coach Frank Ruona. I... Christina, why not talk about a couple of the other uh, folks? You know, Markel is one of your main characters. Also, uh, Rasan. Um, why don't we let's hear uh, kind of a little introduction to Rasan? I recognized a while ago that my voice is free. I can reach the world through words. Cause my family's all the way in New York, so I don't get visits. But they can see my change through my writing, and they can see. I can be a success, even from prison, I can be a successful writer. Dying a loser, like, wasting my life. These are my greatest fears, and, it, and it's inspired a passion to me to do whatever I can, even from here, even if I never go home, to be the best me I can be and have some kind of positive contribution to society. Um, that was uh, Rasan Thomas. You may know his voice from Ear Hustle or some of the other places where he has appeared, also is in this documentary, 26.2 to Life. Um, and Christine, tell us, for those who don't know, he said, even if I never get out, but Rasan gets out in this film, yeah. He does. Uh, when I first met him, he had a 55-to-life sentence. And uh, he was also a real inspiration for wanting me to do this film as a documentary. My background before had been na narrative, actually. So when I first went inside the prison, uh, my intention was to do a regular motion picture. But after meeting Markel, after meeting the guys, and, you know, I distinctly remember that very first time I met Rasan, he made me laugh. And I wasn't expecting to laugh inside a prison. You know, so you just don't think film. about a <laughs> sense so of humor. And it just, you know, it really, I was, I became actually disappointed in myself, you know, kind of shame on me for thinking that people stop being themselves in prison. And um, it was those moments like that that I felt that, you know, I really started need to get out of the way and just let these guys tell their own stories and their own words. And so that's what in, I embarked on the, the documentary. Although I will say um, there is a moment in the film where they finish the marathon and uh, one of the coaches says to one of the runners, um, how are you feeling? He goes, you feeling good? And he goes, yeah, I feel good. And then he's like, still in prison. Don't feel that good, which is both heartbreaking and also as it is in the film very funny like it's a joke but it's also not a joke Jonathan um, Chu straight yeah. up Jonathan Chu he's a stand-up comedian as well <laughs> oh, really? yeah. yeah yeah well it landed for sure um uh, Coach Frank, I just want to say, Rasan is not a great runner right Rasan is more of like a, a grinder an endurance athlete How is, how is it different, Coach Frank, um, to coach someone like Rasan versus someone like Markel inside? Well, uh, Rasan, as he you know, says in, in the film, didn't train very, uh, very seriously. And uh, he, he, he was not really a uh, very serious runner. <laughs> he finished the marathon, but uh, it it took a long time. <laughs> For those of us uh, listening, it was a six-plus-hour marathon. It wasn't. It wasn't that bad. Um, let's uh, let's bring in another uh, caller. Let's go to uh, Damien in Sebastopol. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, I was a, a, a 
lucky former member of San Quentin for a brief period of time, mostly during reception, which is where they're figuring out which prison to send you to. But I've been to a handful of other prisons in California, Pelican Bay, Susanville, etc. And most all other prisons are built in places by design to be away from the public, um, you know, for safety or comfort or whatever. And San Quentin's a very old prison. It was built there before there was a city around it, and now it's in a progressive city. So there's lots of services I know lots of people that are involved in rehabilitative programs in San Quentin, and that's wonderful. But when I was in Susanville or Pelican Bay or all these other places that are in the middle of nowhere, they're prison towns. There's almost no population there, and they offer no services because, quite frankly, there's not that many people there, and it's not a sympathetic population. Mm -hmm. So by function of putting prisons away from society and, and culture, they're not dealt with, and people are not rehabilitated. And it seems counterintuitive, but if you want prisons to have better services and for people to have better access to rehabilitation, and to enter society better than they went in, they need to be put in centers of people where there is opportunities for people to volunteer and give them services because the state is not going to provide them. Oh, man. Thanks. Damien, hey, wait, Damien, stay with us for one, one second. Yep. Um, what what helped sure. you? I mean, maybe you weren't in a running club, but like, what was the kind of yeah. the services that helped you kind of get on the right track? Well, to be fair, I'm white and relatively educated, and I had support of family and friends on the outside, and that helped me to pay out of pocket for the very few uh, college courses that were available by mail, and I'm sure it's changed a bit since I was in. This was 2008, 2009, 10, um, and part of 11, uh, but that was all courses through the mail, and that was also the financial crisis, so there were services that were... and and, and programs that were being offered at that time for early release. Um, I managed to get myself into the firefighting services, which also reduces your time. But it's the same thing, like you were saying about prison. You know, you're still in prison, even if you're running. I had guys that we'd come off of a three, four day deployment where you're sleeping on the hill, risking your life. And, and they'd take somebody and send them, you know, you go right back to the prison on the walls. You know what I mean? It's, mm -hmm. you're out there and people are cheering for you and you're, and you're saving structures and you're a hero. And, and then they'll, they'll put the shackles on you and take you back. Um, and that's, that's fine. Honestly, those fire programs are incredible, but, but it doesn't, it doesn't change the place that you're at. I'm getting yeah. a little off topic here, but it's really important to have these services, any services that are available, people, people should take advantage of, but you really have to fight for them in there. Yeah. And a lot of it is about your support network on the outside. And for people that don't have a support network on the outside, they need volunteer services, which is why San Quentin is such a crucial example of a prison where there's a community of compassionate individuals around it that are willing to spend their time and provide services to those people that don't have resources on the outside. Hey, Damien, thank you. All-time call. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you uh, you sharing your experience. Thanks so much. Um, I, I These are some great calls this morning. I got to get one one more. Philip in San Francisco. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hey, welcome. What's your story, Philip? Uh, well, I did uh, 20 years in prison, most of it San Quentin. I've been out 16 years. Um, and I was actually one of the founding members of the thousand club. I didn't, I didn't set the club up, but I was one of the ones that first was in it. it was one of the runners that was first in it. Oh man, Philip. And what do you, what do you, did, did you keep up running on the outside? Like what did it do for you? Oh, it's just, uh, uh, like I was telling the lady I talked to a minute ago, it's just, uh, the running club, any, any, 
programs in prison are just so valuable. I mean, just to be able to interact with what we call the free people and the, the volunteers and being able to do something positive and what it's things you're interested in and interact with other other prisoners that are that are involved that are interested in the same have the same interests. It's just just really helps with with doing your time and 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 you know pointing yourself in the right direction and getting you know getting good positive things uh, having good positive things to do. Any uh, anything you want to say to uh, Coach Frank while we got him on the line too? You know what? I, it, it wasn't Coach Frank. I don't think oh. when I was there. I don't think uh, there. Yeah. The lady, the woman's name that sponsored. You have to have a, a what's called a, a you know a volunteer or a staff member to sponsor when you have any kind of club in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And her name was Laura Bowman. Mm-hmm. She she was our sponsor for that club. And I'm not sure if Frank was in the if Frank was uh, there. Yeah, he may have been. Maybe I just didn't interact with him. Yeah, and I think uh, but, Coach yeah, Frank. She's just, who uh, she's I who mean, brought you in, right? I mean, I, I mean to Frank. Thanks so much for what he does. I mean, the guys they they really appreciate anything and everything that the volunteers do when they come in. It's just it's so valuable. It's like gold. Yeah. Hey, uh, thank thanks so much, Philip. Really appreciate that. Um, uh, you know, Markel. Uh, one thing that Damien mentioned, and it comes up in the film too, is kind of the the segregation in the prison uh, along racial lines. But there also seems to be a bond between the members of the club. At one point, Tone, who's uh, one of the black members, says that Tommy, um, who's another one of the main characters and was in a former white supremacist gang, kind of one of his favorite people. I mean, was that what was your experience of those racial dynamics of the club? That is, thank you for the question. Beautiful question. You got a very good question. <laughs> thank you. Yes. Um. That is so true. Um, just like the running community on the outside where there's no racial barriers or color lines, especially for distance running, we are a family no matter what area of the country or even outside the country. We embrace each other like family. With that being said, inside, just like religion in church, Sometimes it's all blacks and all whites in certain churches, but in prison, but in prison, whereas that's the only time if that's where you can really get that bonding with another race is like, and and that's kind of how it is in religion is the same thing when you join a any kind of self-help group and that's what the running community brought. It brought unity and um, peace among all races that, because we had this common bond of running and community and love for each other. So if you wanted to do that and you wanted to break the stereotype and what really actually goes on with the segregation in the prison environment, you join a running club or you go into a religion or you get into a self-help group and that's when you can interact and it can be safe for you to do that without hmm. um, getting violated by your particular race of people. Yeah. Let's hear uh, let's hear a little introduction to Tommy, who uh, was one of the people in the running club. The last time I was here was 90, and uh, I did not parole a better person. Back there, they didn't have programs. 
First thing I learned was how to make alcohol, how to make weapons, how to slam narcotics. I mean, I told myself I'll never teach that to none of these kids. Even some of the melees and the, and the riots in here had nothing on how I felt after that marathon. What started me running was, I don't like sitting at tables talking about prison stuff. You hear the same stories, but it's just a different face. Been running for a year and a half. I've got 2,500 miles in. I lost over 55 pounds, and here I am. <laughs> That's uh, Tommy, who's one of the main characters in the new documentary, 26.2 to Life. It's about a marathon running group in San Quentin. We're joined by the director, Christine Yu, Markel Taylor, former member of the San Quentin Thousand Mile Club, now uh, a free man, and Frank Rona who is a coach of the San Quentin Thousand Mile Club. You all know this is a fundraising period for KQED Public Radio. For more information about how to support KQED, go to kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Uh, Christine, before we uh, bring in another caller, I want to know why you chose Tommy as a subject. I mean, we also meet Tommy's wife, who he married while he was in prison. We get kind of a sense of the toll that it kind of takes on families. Um, Talk to me about, like, Tommy as one of the subjects of this film. Yeah, Tommy was actually the the last find. Uh, I was struggling to find, you know, it's always the the Trinity, right? So, um, actually, on one of my drives up to the Bay Area, I live in Los Angeles, uh, one of the coaches had put me in touch with his wife, Marion. And so we stopped for coffee. I thought it was going to be just a a one-hour, you know, quick, quick bite uh, we ended up talking for about five hours, wow. and I yeah quickly realized that wow, what a story he this this family has to offer in terms of what is it like to be a father from prison, uh, be a husband in prison, and what are the hoops and you know struggles that families have to go through to stay together. And he was the most improved runner, actually, <laughs> uh, according to the coaches. So, you know, I had the fastest, slowest, and most improved. Yeah, so I, th- yeah. I thought it was a good combo. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm going to bring in um, Greg in Redwood City. It was kind of, a, kind of a challenging question here. Welcome, Greg. Welcome. Um, I mean, thank you. And good morning. Um, I, you know, appreciate these kind of um, documentaries and films and podcasts and radio shows that are out there highlighting the lives of people that are unfortunately in our prison systems. But, you know, I always find they're very one-sided and, you know, I've just been a victim of crime so many times. And the latest is my nonprofit plant tomorrow had our $50,000 tractor stolen from our farm, Mm. which caused us to not be able to farm this season and, you know, lose over $200,000 worth of income that we really needed for the off season bills. And so, you know, to hear these people, you know, making the best of their situation is great, but not portraying what their crimes have, you know, infected them, the communities and individuals is really kind of a disservice to us all. Yeah. Well, Greg, let's, um, you know, Markel, I, I, what would you say to Greg? Um, I would say I apologize for everybody and even myself for those things that happened to you. However, people are not their crimes and people make mistakes. And a lot of people, even that's been victimized, I'm not saying everybody in the world, but there have people that done stuff that they just never got caught for or won't even admit to on their own wrongdoings to other people. 
And so I'm not trying to justify anybody's actions. We are accountable for our own mistakes and problems. But I just apologize for that. And I just hope that one day you could find it in your heart to forgive yourself and other people. Um, I also want to say that even in this particular film, we all were accountable for our actions and have spoke on our crimes. So you need to see the film if you haven't already seen it, because we are accountable for what we have done. And that's the only way you can get out of prison on a life sentence is to be accountable for your crime and speak on your crime. There's a, can I add to that for a yeah, second? Sure, um, yeah, there, there's a saying you hear a lot behind the walls, uh, hurt people, hurt people. And, you know, what I was really interested to find what, uh, what, what drove people to commit their crimes. And, you know, a lot of people, all, all the things that we can say usually that create success for people, you know, f family units, action, act, access to education, uh, mentorship. Uh, most people behind in prison uh, usually don't have access to those things. So you will, you know, these are quote unquote society's failures, right? So it really is a reflection on us as a society in terms of, you know, what, what how, how are we dealing with this? And, you know, from a public safety perspective, I, I do want to add that um, the Thousand Mile Club, there are, you know, in terms of reoffenders, uh, this it's an amazing example of what can be done when um, when we uh, believe in rehabilitation, and I think that's the hard thing is that if we believe in rehabilitation, we have to believe in the idea of forgiveness uh, and idea of redemption. And I've 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 worked in true crime as a as a TV producer, and you know we did also internally amongst my team discussed if we were going to present that perspective as well. Yeah. And uh, we've been talking about 26.2 to life, a new documentary about a marathon running group in San Quentin. Um, one of our listeners, Kathy wanted to know how to purchase the Markel running shirt. Uh, it's com. We have of course been joined by Markel as a former member of the team. We've also been joined by Frank Verona, coach of San Quentin thousand mile club. And Christine Yu's film opens up Friday, September 22nd at the Roxy, the Smith Rafael Film Center, Rialto Cinemas Elmwood, and Rialto Cinemas Sebastopol. Thank you both. I thank all three of you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, the Heising Simons Foundation, and the Bernard Osher Foundation, supporting higher education and the arts. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.